Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. This year, the conference is taking place June 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2020. We'll interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software projects inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Okay, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to a sunny, sunny day. Um, we're joined by co-host Jack Daniel, JD Strong, and our special guest Thomas Reed. How's it going there, Thomas? Good. Everything's good here. Been a big fan of yours since the Safe Mac was out. Uh, you know your website um, in the old OS ten days. Even was it how far back did we go? I mean, how far did it was it in OS ten? Oh, gosh, 2011, 2010, okay. maybe something, I don't know, something like that. The early days of Mac OS malware. Yeah. Mac yeah. OS 10. <laughs> yeah, and there wasn't a huge amount of it back then. You know, there was some, but it's definitely changed over the years. It was definitely pretty quiet in the early days. I mean, my uh, beginnings of being a sysadmin was in an art school um, and it was OS 9, and there was tons of malware for OS, for, for Mac OS back then, Mac OS 9 and all earlier versions. I mean, I mean, I wasn't in the Apple II days, but I was in the Mac days, and Apple was quite popular, and so there was tons of malware. I remember going into, you know, my university library computing center and putting in a floppy disk in a computer, and then all my files being locked and inaccessible, and yeah, I remember my early days of sysadmin, I had to clean off and rebuild some OS 9 computers because they were like infected by early malware. I would, you know, we didn't have the internet as we did now, or we had early forms of it and most Macs weren't always on it. But yeah, I mean, disk to disk and downloaded malware, I mean, they existed and Mac OS 10 or OS 10 as it was in the beginning certainly quieted down things for a while, even though it was normal Unix underneath. Um, it was definitely quiet until the safe Mac and then malware came at the same time, right? You know, yeah, it was, it started, um, there, there was some stuff at that time, but it definitely was starting to increase, especially adware and pubs. Right. So I think I, when the safe Mac started up, uh, we really, I think there were maybe one or two pieces of adware out there. And really we, we didn't have this concept of, of pups or uh, potentially unwanted programs uh, on the Mac. And so we sort of saw the rise of adware and pups um, on the Mac and, and it's just, it's still on the rise. So. Well, and you found yourself in an interesting situation. You were like between jobs and you were like, I'm just gonna compile lists of uh, potentially unwanted software and malware and write this nice little Apple script, you know, can do attitude, you know. Yeah, 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 it was, um, I had just um, come out of a teaching job. I had tried, decided to try teaching high school science and did that for a few years and it just was not my thing. I did not do well at that. <laughs> um, but I, I have always enjoyed teaching. It's just high school wasn't it. So I high decided, students, you know, yeah. Yeah, I decided I was going to try, you know, I was getting really interested in um, Mac malware. 
And uh, interestingly enough, I used to be one of those people who said, oh, Macs don't get viruses. Until somebody asked me a, uh, some questions that I didn't have the answer to. And so in the course of researching and looking into how can I answer this, this guy on, on you know, Apple's forums who I think is wrong, I found out that I was the one that was wrong. And right. so that really got me interested. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I just started poking at things and, and finding malware and got really, really into it. Well, I mean, you've been very curious and followed up by sh wanting to share what you found with everybody, which is always appreciated in this amazing community of uh, Mac admins and Mac uh, friendly, awesome people. Um, yeah, the safe Mac was a, was a, was a great site that I referred to a lot. And, um, the little Apple script was useful to find little things that were squirreled away sometimes. Um, yeah. Mac has been a pretty open place. I mean, admins complain about how locked down it is currently, um, but uh, I think perhaps that's been in some reaction to the exploitation of this openness by certain malware authors and uh, adware profiteers. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they... Especially the adware folks, that's where the things are getting most sophisticated and they find some creative tricks. Um, like they, there's, there's one that we analyzed recently that um, in order to install a Safari extension, it takes Safari, it makes a copy of it in the temp folder. It modifies the Safari app just a little bit to make it automatically load that that Safari extension when it, it just at startup, and then it launches that Safari copy. <laughs> then it quits the Safari copy and it deletes it, and voila, your legit copy of Safari thinks now that it has a, a, a new Safari extension installed that's adware, and there was never any prompt to the user to you know allow this extension. Um, so as far as the user knows, nothing happened. They were just installing Adobe Flash Player or something. <laughs> the Mac is so flexible. I've, I've seen users Google malware, install it themselves, and then see like a menu bar app that I've never seen in my life, and it's running from a mounted disk image. I mean, it just points to the amazing flexibility and awesomeness of OS X and what is allowed. I mean, yeah. usually I would say it was like a new Mac user that was had just come from windows when all the apps were loading from disk images on their desktop because you know? <laughs> yeah. they weren't properly installed because there's no installer because why would you have an installer um yeah <laughs> and to, you yeah. know that you can have malware running from temp or from a disk image or <laughs> yeah also users uh, willingness to just uh you know click on anything well, yeah, I mean, whatever gets the job done. And if you log in each time and all the disks are, disk images are mounted automatically and your amps are launched, then what do you know? Yeah, it's working. <laughs> so I mess with it, right? Yeah, that's... It takes IT to develop a very much more complicated solution around... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I try to manage uh, apps using Monkey uh, and I, uh, other people try to manage with Jam for other management tools just so that users can have a standard sort of pre-vetted apps. And, um, and I was, as I was telling you offline that, uh, you know, Monkey and Jamf have exceptions to certain security protocols as well as root agents they can install without apps being signed or notarized, which is a total pain, but a nice new security requirement. If you, 
if you're going to hand an app to somebody, like I just, uh, I think I sent an app that I compiled an Apple script to do something really quick, like a reverse SSH tunnel for a user, made a little app out of it, sent it through messages and they opened it and they're like, hey, I can't open this. And I'm like, oh, let me install with my management app and then I can just do whatever I want. But yeah. you know, if you, uh, I've been trying to install apps with MDM since most of my workers are uh, clients, users are offline. And uh, yeah, MDM is such a pain in the butt to install apps as compared to like monkey or Jam, you, you can upload signed uh, apps through MDM, but then you have to wait for MDM to do things and it may just not do it, which I see 99% of the time it does, sometimes doesn't, you're not sure when, if it does it, it doesn't care and it won't tell you. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a brave new world and uh, <laughs> Apple yeah. left some, some ability for us to do things, but um, yeah, malware yeah. authors are always looking for uh, exceptions uh, and ways to get around stuff, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one interesting effect of the notarization requirement is that a lot of malware has switched over to not being signed at all. And it, <laughs> just, it comes on a disk image with a background that says control click this and points at the app icon and choose open. Yep. And that bypasses all that security and just it's opens the app. It does in the default, even on Catalina. And this one of my users was on Catalina. And I'm like, yeah, I just right click on it. It'll allow it. You know, I didn't notarize it. But I mean, yeah, it seems like malware authors, it's easy for them either to steal or to spin up identities. I, th I think there's been a public cases of both, but they've just been signing their own apps. And I'm not sure how many malware authors have been notarized yet, but definitely signing. I mean, oh, yeah, signing. Um, they've been signing stuff for a long time. Um, and if they and, can trick you to install a profile, you can have MDM installed and oh then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. That, well, interestingly, there's a lot that they could be doing that they're not doing. <laughs> and we're not here to give them ideas, but. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any ideas, but there's, there's a lot. Uh, interestingly, there's stuff that I've talked about at conferences that, you know, is theoretical possibilities that you should keep an eye on that still have never been exploited. And so. at the end of your talk on Fruitfly, there was that recent announcement by OSX Reverser, right, about the actual method of install, the dropper tool, or yeah. did they figure out the actual way, like what was the, the install vector? Was I Yeah, so the way that that malware got installed is very unique. Uh, most malware on the Mac is disguised as something that you want to open, like a document, or Adobe Flash Player. <laughs> yeah, get rid of <laughs> or, that. Or, you know, whatever, you know. Video codecs. Whatever thing it is, yeah. Um, but this one was actually installed. What, what the guy did was he um, got people's passwords from data breaches. Oh, right. And he would directly target somebody on the network, get their password, um, crack into their machine, you know, using whatever he could, you know, SSH, if it was open back to my Mac, which was still a thing back then, um, you know, um, AFP, you name it, whatever file sharing remote access sort of protocol was, was available. He would Most use it. That would be turned in. off by default for people. Right. But a lot of people turn it on. Hmm. Um, or at least a lot of his his victims did. So I think especially back during the days of Back to My Mac, that was really appealing to people because if you were, you know, say at the airport 
and you're like, oh crap, I need some file that I left on mm -hmm. my Mac at home. Well, if you've left it running with Mac to my Mac enabled, then you just go grab it. You know, you, you so that was that was pretty cool, but it also enabled this guy to install malware. And so then once he got into the system, he would um, upload this script and run it, and the script would do the job of installing the malware. Um, and it's it was really fascinating that that came out so many years later. I mean, it just came out like what was it a week before Objective by the Sea? And right. Yeah. This malware dated back to 2017. So um, he, he'd been sitting on it. His employer hadn't let him share it previously, and he had it and finally was able to share it. But yeah, that was, that was a very nefarious uh, set, setup. This person had been doing this for years, right? Wasn't it? A, oh, was yeah. It yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was at least a decade. And... Um, I, I didn't really 100% know. I didn't know how long it had been out there at the time that I, that we were looking at it and analyzing it back in 2017. But some of the code in it was so old that I suspected that mm -hmm. it was. Um, how did you stumble you know, onto it? Somebody had reported it or? Yeah, somebody on uh, the one of the Mac admins Slack um, channels. I, I think it was probably the security channel posted it there and, um, and and pinged me. And so I grabbed a copy and went to work. You can find some interesting things sometimes. I remember once at a client, uh, our mail server went back in 10 years ago when I was hosting mail servers and uh, the mail server wasn't working. And then I was digging into the mail server and realized that we'd been hacked. <laughs> oh. <laughs> some somebody had a SSH access that shouldn't have SSH access enabled, and then now they were running IRC. Well, they weren't, but someone as them was running IRC. <laughs> and wow. then I realized that this hack wasn't the do why the mail server was down. This hack wasn't killing the host. It was our, our ISP had given away our IP address, but I discovered that we'd been hacked in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> They were living just quietly under the hood, you know, and wow. another time another Mac had been hacked is because it was joined to an AD domain and they less left a guest account with no password on. So they basically oh. got under the Mac and then what? Oh, Active Directory. Oh, here's an account with no passwords. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. Or maybe it was one of the common like default passwords, but it was something in AD and I was like, and you know, a, you know, the Windows admin and me, the Mac admin pointing fingers at each other. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Let's say we both did this. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, there's, uh, there's ways. I mean, you know, thinking of all those people fuzzing and, and breaking oh, browsers, it's just every time there's a feature, there's then some unexpected, in, you know, in, uh, content or input you can put into that app or uh, you open up port 22 because you need access, but now you have SSH remote access enabled for anyone to attack or... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, people leave, they forget about things. You know, they'll turn on SSH just for one thing, but then they, they forget to ever turn it off. Somebody in the, in the old days had set up this amazing script that would, uh, it was for if you lost your laptop, it would take a picture with a camera if someone put in the wrong password in your laptop. I installed it on my iMac and I'd open port 22 on my computer for other reasons because I was a super smart techie boy. And, um, uh, was it years later I discovered a folder full of pictures of myself 
in my computer. <laughs> it was, it was uh, I think, when my wife and myself late at night when we couldn't sleep with our kids because they were like little babies and we'd go to the computer late at night and just like my wife's knitting in front of the computer or I'm in front of the computer just like really bleary eyed. And it was just me, <laughs> it was taking pictures of me and my wife just sitting in front of our own computer late at night. It was all this like amazing pictures <laughs> of us. Cause, and then there was also pictures of like people hacking with like just random like, you know, administrator, uh, you know, root you know trying to it was like oh a, yeah it was almost like an art project at that point all these like fun pictures of us but with the actual credentials they the people tried to uh, brute force attack my mac with them um yeah, yeah I, I saw the same thing at one point i had a mac that i enabled ssh on and i opened up up uh port forwarding in the router so that it could get out you know so i could access it from anywhere mm -hmm. and this was before I knew a lot about security and I didn't get hacked, but I did find out later. I, I spotted a lot of weird activity and found that I was constantly that people were hammering that port just nonstop. It's like Shodan, you know, it's this whole business of like a, a search engine that just looks for open ports and, and failures in, you know, internet, uh, you know, IOT connected cameras and, Ah, uh, just makes you, makes you, uh, what, uh, scared. Yeah. That's yeah. So for all these lovely people working from home and people protecting their Mac, what, what, what kind of things should they look out for? Or, uh, I mean, how do we, how do we protect our tools and our users? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think probably on the Mac side, the, the most important thing to keep an eye on is just, you know, people should be very careful what they download on their computers. And a lot of people fall for these, you know, the big joke is the Adobe Flash Player, but it's it's kind of become a joke for a reason because it happens so often and it's so successful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, you can get some people to download just about anything if you put the right message on a website telling them that they need it. Um, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, some people as in, you know, people who are less intelligent, because it's not always, um, it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. It just has to do with having a moment where, you know, you, you aren't paying 100% attention. Um, I had a, a moment earlier this week where I got an email um, it, it was supposedly from my internet service provider saying, hey, we, you know, we, we haven't been able to verify your billing information. You're going to need to verify this with us within 48 hours or we're going to shut off your service. And of course, you know, with all of us being remote and relying on our home internet connections, <laughs> it was like, you know, oh my God, what's going to, you know, I've got to get on this. And then I was like, wait, 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 hover over the link. Don't be a dummy. And so, of course, it was not actually from my internet service mm -hmm. provider yeah so that's the sort of thing you could very easily you know panic at something like that and click on it and you're in trouble especially with some of these zero days or you know i mean there's hacks where you don't even need to do anything you just need to receive a text but let's try to forget that category of maybe nation state <laughs> level attack but hoping yeah. that we, you know we can at least deal with the ones where we engage with the uh you know the I mean, I see a lot of spam uh, coming through text. And since I don't deal with any of my billing providers through texting, that's an immediate 
flag for me. It's like my uh, tax agency for my government. Neither of my utilities use texting. So I just laugh at it, take a screenshot, save it in my spam hall of fame folder. And, uh, and uh, that's about it. But yeah, the emails, you know, trying to teach people to hover over any link so that, you know, they can show what the actual address is because they're getting better with their uh, English grammar and, uh, and the way they write the emails and they are. Yeah. And I, I personally haven't seen this, but there are some pretty sophisticated techniques for making the links look right uh, by using um, uh, characters from that are not like your, you know, your A is not actually an A, it's something from another character set. It's a different character code, but it looks just like an A. Right. Um, so there's been a little bit of that, but fortunately it hasn't been really hugely widespread. So hovering over the links really does still usually work. But of course, it will still, if there's something that looks suspicious after you click the link, yeah, close, close yeah. it, whatever it is, close, close, close. <laughs> I usually tell my family and friends and clients that if there's an email asking for money, just delete it. If they really want money and it's a real person, they will ask again. <laughs> yeah. And if it's someone offering you money, delete it because it's probably not. It's like yeah. asking or offering, just delete. <laughs> Yeah. It's too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the malware authors are getting more and more sophisticated and they're using the powers of the internet. And uh, I read recently that, you know, a lot of people have like thousands of new zoom domain names have been registered to try and take on the, uh, on the popularity of zoom being used. And so they're registering some malware and using some sites and domains and yeah. I saw something just today, I can't remember where it was about, um, and I think it was more on the Windows side anyway, but um, something about that uh, some folks were distributing Trojanized Zoom uh, installers. So it, it, it that's definitely going on right now. If you're looking to download Zoom, for example, right now, because you're at home, get it from Zoom's website, not from, you know, don't go Google it and just click the first link. You know, it's, yeah. that's, that's a tough that's, one to try and teach users is that how to evaluate, you know, in the old days, it would be evaluate the sources of your research in a library or such, you know, you can get any book, but what is the, okay. the value of that? Now it's, you can search for anything and find any links, but how do you evaluate that? And you need to think critically, at least pause before you click and install random yeah. software. Yeah. Cause literally these days you can, you can search for anything, and you can find like bad stuff as a result. You know, you can Google things like Apple support and sometimes you might get as the first option there something that is absolutely not Apple support. That's a tech support scam. And there's a whole category of websites I'm not gonna name that uh, used to provide free and uh, you know, uh, you know, a different software and now is just riddled with, you know, adware and uh, a certain and, yeah. famous site that used to be where everybody wrote software is now also, you know, riddled with, you know, adware. So, you know, supply chain attacks are a real thing. Plus also replacing used to be legitimate sources of software downloads. And so uh, we have to be very careful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, and there's some legitimate software out there that's, that's 
uh, well, you, like it's used by a lot of people, but they're distributing their software with an adware installer. Yeah. Um, which is very unfortunate. Um, but yeah. And then another, another common source of malware is, uh, you know, just piracy torrenting stuff. Um, you know, there's a whole, um, whole bunch of, uh, audio, uh, related apps that are being torrented, being pirated right now. Yeah. Um, that are all filled, you know, like just adware installers or uh, malware installers actually. Um, and, and it's continuing. It's still going on. Yeah, unless it's a legitimate open source project, I always tell people to please pay for software to ensure that they're receiving a genuine copy and cracking software is 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 fraught with peril. And I get emails from people who do this and then need help. You know, what was that name of that? Uh, was it Malwarebytes? You know, what was that name of that, <laughs> ad, of that app that you were using to clean up your computer? And I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, here you go. Um, <laughs> Please uh, avoid doing things which, you know, may comp uh, compromise your computer and the tools that you use on it. You know? Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, in the old days, we used to just nuke from orbit or, you know, image a machine if it was any sign of it was wrong, you know, I mean, especially with malware, you know, you don't know what's stashed in there. We all think we're smart and we've looked in the right places, but... And that one time that the IRC got installed as a user, I, I, I was able to use the find command and find anything owned by that person. And therefore it found lots of hidden things, but still things can be stashed in place. You never thought to look um, and as clever as you are, it, it, you know, you don't, you may not want to be on that compromised machine. If it's, if someone's a smart actor or has a new way of doing things that you just haven't seen yet. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these people are hiding things in some really weird places. Um, you know, like var root, um, you know, dot file, a dot folder, somewhere that you can actually like look at. You know, it's only an advanced user can even see that folder. Mm -hmm. You know, would even know that it exists. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of weird stuff, weird, weird places that they're hiding stuff these days. But ironically, you know, they, they go to great lengths to hide this stuff and then they, they launch it with a launch agent, which there are three places those can go and they like, it's, it's a dead giveaway. So it definitely is a dead giveaway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, other than writing a cron tab, but still, I mean, that's still controlled by a launch agent as well. Um, yeah. Not many people are using that. I mean, or you can have a login item. Uh, yeah. You know, one, one thing that um, uh, some folks are doing these days, you know, with, um, I call them hidden login items. They're login items that are bundled within an app as sort of like a helper tool. Right. It's originally designed for App Store apps because obviously, you know, if you're in the App Store, you can't install a launch agent or a daemon. You can't. Um, automatically just touch the user's login items, stuff like that. So they created this method for, you know, embedding a helper, a login um, item inside your app. And then you call a system call and it registers it um, when, when the app gets opened. Um, the problem with that is that those are not enumerated anywhere. Like you can't just go look in a folder or look at a, a file somewhere and figure out, oh yeah, here are all the 
uh, all of these login items on the system. Uh, so you kind of have to look at every single app on the whole system to know which which ones have these login items. Yeah, I think Patrick Wardle had uh, found a clever way to uh, put a, a zip archive uh, as a login item, and then it would be unzipped, and then that app was totally free to do whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes these white hat hackers, these clever uh, <laughs> you know uh, security researchers, are uh, yeah, they're definitely helping us. I'm sure thinking of things that other people have thought of and are just not talking about out loud. So definitely, we need to encourage Patrick to keep going. Keep going, Patrick. Uh, yeah. Still, uh, sometimes I worry that we're we're sharing awesome ways of breaking things <laughs> with people that don't need to know these things, and <laughs> I, I'm not sure yeah. I'm a big fan of Metasploit or other frameworks that are out there, you know. But giving people the tools to do things in a better way that they wouldn't have the tools themselves normally, but um, perhaps with everything out in the open, we can be ready to uh, to counter it somehow. But um, yeah, makes it easy to spot certain things. You know, when somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to use Metasploit or, you know, whatever other exploitation toolkit. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I know that's that's not legitimate. Mm -hmm. We're going to get rid of that. Or at least it's not legitimate in that context. Are you seeing more malware utilize anything in the cloud or software as a service or hiding? I mean, other than command and controls? Or are they yeah. I mean, other than command and control, you know, for for receiving commands and sending data um not really because that's something that you know it's i'm sure that they have their own um cloud platforms that are kind of hidden away that you you would never be able to see that maybe monitor some of this stuff but mm -hmm. um, but yeah i mean it, you know generally any domain that malware is touching has to be considered disposable because yeah. as soon as the malware gets discovered, that domain is going to get just, you know, it's going to get shut down. Yeah. I mean, or blocked or, you know, what kind of tools do you think normal people can use or everyday users? And we're all everyday users because even if we're techies in our real life, we, we, we have to let down our guard at some moment and use some tools that are easy to use. And I mean, yeah. the other day I saw three different domain name sort of uh, tools, services being mentioned. Uh, uh, Cloudflare's got one. I think the Canadian Internet Registry just started one. And then uh, uh, Quad9 was mentioned. Uh, I mean, there's been a couple other companies that are more famous. I think Cisco had just bought one that people were using. Just family protection, you know, filtering for malware or pornography. Uh, I mean, or you could have a pie hole on a Raspberry Pi that will filter with certain lists of servers. And are you seeing these as a helpful tool in the, in the fight to protect some of our internet traffic or? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, you mentioned a pie hole and, and that sort of thing, ad blockers, pie holes, et cetera. Those actually block a lot of stuff that turns out to be malicious. You know, a lot of the... Um, when you see these pages pop up that say, oh, your Mac is infected, go download this or, you know, call us on this number. Um, a lot of the times those are not coming because you visited a bad site. They're coming because you went to, you know, maybe CNN and they had a bad ad that got into their feed and you happen to trigger that bad ad and you got the bad behavior. Um, and I'm only really mentioning, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't pick on CNN specifically. I just mentioned it because we were seeing that. Um, 
a week or two ago, we were seeing a lot of users come in from CNN that were having problems, but it's just advertising. It's just, it's just that somebody got in there and, and got some bad ads into their feed and it happens to every site out there. Domain name squatting. Um, Sometimes people will register similar names. Yeah. Domain name squatting. Um, that's always a problem. Somebody so yeah, had one for you can do to block these things, mm -hmm. block these from ever even loading. That's always a good thing. Yeah. So any other tools uh, blocking the traffic, trying to restrict the traffic, trying to filter. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say um, uh, one thing that, that I like in theory, but I've never really been able to have patience enough to actually do it is using some kind of uh, uh, an external firewall like um, Little Snitch, for example. Mm. Um, so uh, I like the idea of that because if you've got malware that's broadcasting out from your computer and you can stop that from ever happening, you've just neutered the malware. It may still be on your computer, but it can't really do anything particularly harmful other than maybe make you need to use your backups. You right. Um, the problem I have with that though, is that it, it always, when I, I've tried to, to get little snitch set up multiple times and every time I lose my patience cause it just <laughs> get it. If like figuring out which things are good and which things aren't, you know, and that's a lot of questions. Assume, yeah. I kind of assume, okay, Mike, I think my computer's in a known good state, but even so I'm like, what is that? What is that? Why is, you know, like, um, so if you have the patience and the knowledge to set it up, I think that's a really good tool to use. Um, I just have never had the patience for it. I think, um, Patrick Wardle's Lulu yeah, I've been, is a, a lighter weight tool. That's a little easier to use, but I'm using Lulu and, and it's, it's working great. Um, yeah. use some of his other tools that just warn you about uh, persistence. Basically yeah. if somebody has a launch agent, you know, what is this and just double check. So you will get, you know, notified again of a software. If there's a new version of it, you'll say, Oh, here's a new, you know, persistent launch agent. Some of those are good, mm -hmm. but yeah, for some of my users, it's just too many questions and it gets in their way. And, uh, yeah. you know, you almost need Absolutely. a tool that will, will log all that and put it somewhere in a dashboard or monitor it for you in a way that doesn't make us all roll our eyes into the back of our skull and or just filter <laughs> the emails into dev null and uh, uh, a lot of my monitoring goes into mailboxes that i never see and then it's mostly a historical thing when i have trouble <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, we almost need an apple friendly santa version of santa where it whitelists or bl blacklists and notarization is almost like that it's basically whitelisting yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you mentioned Santa. I, I really like the idea of that tool too. It's not really a consumer friendly tool, but for admins, I think it's. Um, yeah. They tried to make it a little bit friendlier with their upvote system, but it plugs into their app engine, which is not friendly for many people at yeah. all. But the idea that people can vote on an app and the admins can step back and go, Hey, Thomas wants this app. Anybody else using it? Yeah, we're all using it. No problem. It's a good app. And, that yeah. seemed to be good. I mean, the old way of doing things that I still do with some of my clients is they ask for something and then I add it to monkey, right? I, I check the software, I vet it, I put it into my repo or configure it through auto package, trust a recipe that some author has written. And then if the author changes the recipe, I'm alerted. Um, but you know, you can supply chain attack and automate that to your whole fleet. If you're not careful as an admin, you know, 
as a yeah. joke somewhere about admins and malware authors not being too dissimilar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we have to worry about our automation and, and, you know, it takes a long time to set up our automation correctly. And if we set it incorrectly, we can make a mistake, a bigger mistake faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. So, and yeah, all, all the, um, you know, that you mentioned the flurries of all the different, you know, alerts, you know, from something like little snitch or whatever it is, not, not to pick on little snitch because lots of things do it. Even Mac OS is doing it these days where, Oh, do you want to access documents? Do you want, do you want this to access downloads? Do you want this to access this and that? Um, yeah, it takes a lot of planning. Tired of it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. admins have to configure that in MDM and they have to know exactly how to configure which apps need which access. And, it's yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of kinds of apps don't even trigger that they just fail so mm. yeah like anything any anything that's running as like a daemon for example um if a daemon tries to access a file that is not you know or a, a location that it's not allowed to touch because of tcc right um it simply fails it doesn't trigger a dialogue of any kind it just fails and then, you know, adds an extra instruction set for the user to add full disk access or accessibility mm -hmm. to the system preferences. And then, I mean, I'm yeah. always unchecking my Zoom or WebEx microphone off. And then when I go to join a, com a conversation, it's off and I have to like enable it and then it quits the app. And then it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, with, uh, with a lot of people using Zoom and other uh meeting apps are you finding uh, any new uh, interesting things there we've had lots of interesting stories about these apps in the past <laughs> well there's been a flurry over the last 24 hours about zoom um and a lot of people are piling on zoom um including me on a twitter thread that got kind of it's it's really blown up um, but I think it's important to keep in mind that um, it's not just Zoom. Um, so it's really any app that uses this same code, like Ring Central. Um, you know, I think there are like a dozen of them or something like that. So a while back, there was the issue where they were they all had a, a web server that they installed on your computer, and it was just open all the time. Uh, and you could trigger a reinstall by pinging that server. Um, and that actually caused Apple to remove all of them with its malware removal tool. Like <laughs> now I have been told that this was not actually the first case where, um, where legitimate software was removed with the malware removal tool, but it's the first one that anyone appears to know about. Right, right. That was so, quite the, uh, the the event when everybody was when somebody had discovered this local web server and then was talking about it. And then yeah. these engineering fixes that turn out to be kind of security holes slash privacy problems. Oh, we're just going to have this web server to instantly reinstall the app in case we need it, but maybe nobody knows about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's there's been a lot of flurry over the last twenty four hours because there have been a lot of problems that have popped up, like the fact that they were sharing data with Facebook, which doesn't really make sense for this sort of app. Yeah. Uh, they apparently were leaking contact information. Um, they um, and then of course Patrick Wardle 
published a, a blog post um, a couple of days ago about uh, a, a couple of vulnerabilities in Zoom. One that would let malware that was on the machine get um, escalate to root permissions. And the other one would allow malware that's on the machine to get access to the camera and microphone without the user knowing anything. You know, they wouldn't see any permission requests or anything. If you'd given Zoom or whatever other app that permission, it would just pass it right on through. Fruit Fly version two. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of issues with Zoom and, and the other apps that are based on the same code. Um, and there's been a lot of controversy about these findings over the last couple of days that, you know, some people are, are very bothered by them and other people are saying, well, you know, this is, you know, we're relying on this right now. This is really bad time to be, you know, criticizing these tools. My view is that it's really important that we find these things and that we kind of put the screws to the vendor and make sure that they get them fixed because we are reliant on these right now. And the bad guys are right now, they're targeting anything that we're using to stay connected during these, you know, these times right now where everybody's at home. And yeah. I mean, it's got to get fixed so that we can continue to rely on these tools a little more safely. We have to hold them to a higher standard and sort of what, what is the expression living off the land. Uh, if malware authors are looking for apps that are installed that they can piggyback off or pirate or be parasitical to, or somehow, you know, launch an attack through an app, you know, <laughs> um, we have to uh, secure these tools and thanks to security researchers like yourself to examining them and keeping us all in the know about what's going on and, um, and for sharing your knowledge. Uh, you mentioned uh, the malware, malware removal tool, hard to say sometimes, um, <laughs> but uh, it's one of these uh, secret, uh, not so secret tools that Apple has underneath the hood. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, some people like to dis take these apart to try and find out what's changed because Apple will push changes to these tools, but then of course they're not exactly sharing them in a press release. They're not new shiny MacBook Pros. Um, yeah. and they used to name each file with the name of the malware. Now it's just some kind of obscure string. Um, yeah, they've really obfuscated everything about um, their security stuff on the Mac side. So, I mean, Gatekeeper is supposed to save us from apps not in the App Store, apps not signed, apps not notarized. But if you're a root agent, you can install whatever you want or using Monkey or Jam for other you know, management tools. Um, those are exceptions for enterprise, I suppose, um, unless some malware author sets up their own sort of management automation setup. <laughs> um, how do you find the malware removal tool? How has it been working in reality? Is it, uh, has it been doing its job? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to get a good idea. It's hard to test it because nobody really understands exactly how it works, when it triggers, that sort of thing. Um, I will say that for the first time ever, I believe that I actually tripped over malware removal tool when I was testing some malware. Um, and, and I've tested a lot of malware. But a couple of weeks ago, I was testing a piece of malware. And during the course of the process, I found that pieces of it were missing. And I was like, 
what just happened? Like, I know it's supposed to drop this and this and this. Where did they go? Right. And I, when I ran it again a second time with the machine um, isolated from the network so that it couldn't download those uh, updates from Apple, everything dropped where I thought it was going to be. So I think that that was a case where the malware dropped some stuff and malware removal tool removed it. Right. But the, like, that's the first time I've ever seen that. Now I shouldn't, I, I don't want to give the impression that it's not doing its job uh, because a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm infecting a machine and it, it, you know, it all happens fairly quickly. Um, so yeah, I don't want to say that malware removal tool isn't doing its job. Um, we definitely have seen, um, I've communicated a little bit with Apple on some of our, our recent detections. You know, we put out that story, um, uh, you know, a few months ago about how much uh, the, the Mac threat landscape has increased. Um, and so I talked a little bit with Apple and uh, so I noticed that when they put a definition for something into the MRT, we saw a drop in our detections of that particular piece of malware. It's definitely uh, working. It's just under the hood yeah. and it's out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a black box. Nobody really understands what it's doing, when it's doing things. Right, right. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's definitely doing something. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's thanks to uh, the uh, people of our community that are helping us to uh, de-obfuscate some of this stuff. Uh, I would want a big shout out to Howard Oakley as well with his eclectic uh, light company. Uh, he's always digging into things and uh, trying to bring some light to how Macs work and how the new systems work and you know what's happening. And uh, we. We definitely depend on a community of people that are poking at it and trying to learn and trying Absolutely. to help us. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really all security is is just poking at things, seeing what breaks, what doesn't break. You know, if something breaks, how can you use that break to do something bad? Yeah. And it's kind of fun. I mean, it's it's fun to do that sort of thing, and it's it has a good useful benefit in the end. If you're a good guy, you know, you can you know, yeah. help, help people out with it. Security yeah. shouldn't be the, uh, the terrible people that stop us from doing our job. Security researchers and security engineers and security people are the people that are helping us to secure our tools, to keep us working and to keep us safe. And I've definitely enjoyed uh, going to security conferences and hearing people deconstruct and help, uh, help other people repair their apps. Uh, there was that, Hubble talks about helper apps having issues and these researchers were helping other people build their apps uh, or fix problems they found. And um, hearing Sarah Edwards talk about data that she finds in her, her wanderings on iOS and Mac OS. Uh, oh, all those iOS things you can't find on your locked iPhone. Oh, they're being synced to your Mac. So let's just look at your Mac. I, I think security uh, is, is, is help, helpful to inform us in our lives and how to, if we're IT uh, and we're working in, in DevOps and automation and managing Macs, we have to be careful and have to take this, what we're learning to ma help manage our clients and help keep our fleets and our users safe. And the more we hear about things, uh, when something happens that seems obscure, then we'll, it'll bring something to mind that we heard about this at <clears throat> Mac DevOps or Objective by the Sea or at some other conference or 
read it on Thomas's blog or, you know, on your Twitter feed. So keeping the community and in, in, in keeping in contact with uh, all of us uh, really helps because uh, you never know when you need that bit of knowledge. Oh, Thomas may have mentioned something that one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you read it and then, you know, you may not remember the details, but you know that it's there. Like you see when you need it later, you're like, Oh, I remember that I saw something about this and then you've got to go find it. But still it's. Um, yeah. It's, and yeah. trying to keep, you know, people are going to be using zoom and they're going to be using other meeting apps. So how do we, how do we run them with passwords or locked rooms or other ways of managing the meeting space so that it's, it's not hacked or, you know, meeting bombed or whatever, or interrupted and, a lot of us are just trying to get through these difficult times or hard days at work. And uh, we need to help people use these tools to, to do their jobs because people are trying to do some work or they're trying to work with other people. So we have to help them. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's the, that, you know, the, the folks that are criticizing um, all of the, the releases of this information, I think that's the part that they're missing is that, by releasing this information about issues with Zoom and, and other clients, um, we're enabling admins to help users make uh, their jobs safer, you know, use those tools in a safer way. Yeah. So like using passwords on, on Zoom meetings um, or, you know, just using some, some basic security precautions that you wouldn't think were necessary if nobody talked about the issues. So, yeah, I mean, in the old days you could tell net to a port with no password and in, you know, and ask the mail server what it's doing. And these days, you know, okay. yes, there's more passwords everywhere and more security and certificates and uh, it's just going to keep going. And we have to secure the, the tools in the world and the processes we're using from some bad actors uh, Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember back in the day when I was in college, I could remember I could um, go on into you know, the Unix machines, Unix mainframes, and I could log in and I could write an email and I could send it to whoever I wanted to from whoever I wanted to. <laughs> and there were like, I wasn't um, attacking anything. I wasn't breaking anything. I was just using a, a, a function of that system the way it was intended to be used, but that could so easily be misused. <laughs> I'm so often on a server and I need to get some like simple text file out and um, cat the file, pipe it into mail minus S little subject line and mail it to myself right away on the command line. And there's a lot of little Unix tools that are so helpful and useful that could be abused somehow. And, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. Don't run your own mail server. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now these days, don't host anything on-prem. Everything in the cloud. Now we have to keep the cloud secure. Uh, how many S3 buckets have leaked secrets and uh, people yeah. storing everything and are using Git to uh, synchronize their code or their documents, but now have leaked some other stuff in their Git repos. And so there's uh, new tools and new, uh, new security requirements and... Um, just hope that uh, in the blameless postmortem after the problem that people can come together and help each other to fix the problems and make the world a better place. Big hugs. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes. Uh, and thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, you're, an, you're an awesome dude and uh, loved awesome. you forever. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Hey, Thomas. Where can we find you on the uh, on the internet? Uh, how do people reach out to you in a friendly, non-aggressive way? Yeah, so um, there are a number of ways. So you can always find me on Twitter. That's I'm very, very active on Twitter. It's uh, my handle there is Tom at, at Thomas A. Reed. Um, so that's that's a really good way. I've got my DMs wide open. So you know, if you don't want to announce something to the world, you can just DM me on Twitter and. The other thing that you can do is I'm very active on the Malwarebytes forums. Um, so, you know, if you have a question that you'd like my attention on, but maybe some other people too, um, you can always put it there, you know, something malware related. Um, and then, um, you know, you can always send me an email too. Um, you know, I, I my email, tread at malwarebytes.com. I don't really hide that email address. Um, you know, I always welcome emails from people who have a security concern or a question. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, if I sort of close myself off, then I don't hear about some of this stuff. You know, I have to hear about malware from people. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I don't try and hide any of my contact info, except my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're a very friendly and uh, open person, and we love uh, love you having you as a resource. And we're looking forward to uh, hearing you talk at the Mac DevOps uh, the next Absolutely. one. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I want to thank our amazing sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR 2020. Uh, we couldn't do it without your help and support. Our platinum sponsor, Mac Stadium. Thank you so much. You helped us last year. You're helping us this year. You're just amazing people to work with. Our gold sponsor, Sauce Labs from Vancouver, uh, thank you so much. Uh, your support means a lot to us. And uh, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor this year. Every year you've been sponsoring us. Uh, thank you so much. Huge shout out to all three. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps Podcast. Thank you to our guests and co-hosts. Mac DevOps Podcast is a brainchild of Matt X and Chris Johnson. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. But you're not malware, J.D. You're a sysadmin. <laughs> Virtually indistinguishable. <laughs>